Titnatan said, we are here to overcome the illusion of our separation. Please sit comfortably. wonderful expression of uh, Sushin. We are here to overcome the illusion of our separation. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I love this framing of our purpose. That uh, it's such a spur to practice. Uh, such a spur to realise. Um, it also inspires confidence and uh, trust uh, in the way. Um, yeah. We are here. Um, why are we here? Um, yeah. I, mean, I mean in the big sense. Why are we here? Maybe to give voice to this beautiful world, uh, to become intimate with its joy and pain, its splendour, to bear witness uh, to this miracle on offer, uh, moment by moment, Uh, to bear witness to be there uh, even in the worst of it. Thich Nhat Hanh wrote that uh, if I, even if I was given a choice to leave this earth with its suffering, um, its darkness, I would refuse the choice uh, even to live uh, free, in some place free of all of that. Yeah, so what, why are we here? Um, Fundamentally, we don't know why we are born. Um, We don't know why we walk about, um, fall in love, create art, um, attend session, uh, die. Uh, We don't know. This Khan, uh, uh, where um, the young Fayan who has been uh, shipwrecked with some friends ends up at Di Shang's uh, monastery, and he's walking around in the gardens at the dead of night, in the dead of night, and uh, he encounters Di Shang, the teacher there. Di Shang, uh, he asks him, uh, "What are you doing?" And, Fayan said, I'm wandering at random. And the teacher said, well, what do you think about wandering? Uh, Fayan said, well, I don't know. 
And Dijang said, not knowing is most profound. All this is filled to the brim with not knowing, not knowing. Glenn Wallace Roshi uh, teaches in Dunedin, New Zealand, um, told me this, this very short dialogue with his son, which also conveys this in a different kind of way. Um, he said to, to Matthew, um, this was done in the context of when Matthew would come home from school, um, um, Glenn would make a sandwich for him and um, you know, uh, some apple juice and then uh, give him a place to rest after the day at school. Really beautiful. And he just asked him one day, uh, how is it up to now? And uh, Matthew said, what is there to compare it with? Which is really beautiful. <laughs> You're looking for the essence of Zen? <laughs> yeah. Seen another way. Uh, why are we here? Um, the why disappears into the fact itself. Why are we here? So what is this illusion of separation? Uh, Yasutani Hakuin wrote that the fundamental delusion of humanity is that I am in here while you are out there. Um, it's a wonderful play. Uh, I am out there and you are in here. It's an invitation to play. In Yasutani's terms, when we think and act from that place of separation, it becomes a deep source of suffering for others and for ourselves. Trying to fix the me that isn't there, trying to feed the me that isn't there, trying to protect, enhance, promote the me that isn't there, well, it's a doomed enterprise truly there is no entity dwelling within called I although we commonly assume that we attribute our dreams uh, to that indwelling entity our desires our thoughts in fact, all of the skandhas are attributed like that. Form, sensation, perception, mental reaction, consciousness. After all, it's my consciousness. Hmm. Yeah. That rather than uh, 
the eye that thinks. Uh, what about thinking? Thinking. Thinking. Uh, Thich Nhat Hanh has this inspiring uh, gata uh, called Awakening Bell and it goes like this Listen, listen, this wondrous sound brings me back to my true home. What is your true home? Ian Kerr, who's a dear friend of mine who lives in Washington, West Coast Washington in the United States, and uh, who uh, teaches Thich Nhat Hanh um, Zen. And she visited Thich Nhat Hanh in Plum Village and... Uh, I think they'd gone out for a walk, actually. I don't think this is an ocean as much as streams. But he said to Ian Kira, how did you get here? And Ian said, I crossed the stream. Thich Han said, did you get your feet wet? Ian Kira said, no. And then she said, with a very sinking feeling. <laughs> can't set fire to the illusion of our separation. They show us our intimacy with numberless beings, including rocks and stars and chooks and zebras, and their intimacy with us. One such koan is, uh, who is hearing that sound? which comes down to us from the 14th century Japanese Zen master Basui, Basui Tokusho. The koan he, as he devised it was, who is the master of hearing that sound? And we tend to use it in its shorter form, who is hearing that sound, or even who hears Yeah, carrying it, uh, standing, moving about, lying down, sitting it. After all, we are, like it or not, in an ocean of sounds, any of which one can initiate your questioning as to the one who hears. So, 
um, just raise the koan um, and a sound appears. <laughs> yeah, you, you can't miss. When you become aware of a sound or when a sound impinges, uh, simply ask who hears. It's good to let go of notions like inside sounds and outside sounds. The sound of your cleaning your teeth or your tummy rumbling before a meal or even the sound of your heart beating, if you can hear it, is grist for your investigation. There is no need to scour the horizon for sounds when it's quiet either. Just ask the question and there is your sound. Each sound brings you home. Each sound is home. It's good not to name the sounds or to get carried away with their associations. As when you hear the sound of rain starting up and you remember that there's a leak in your roof and that you'll need to ring the plumber and that the last time you did that it took a week before he was able to get out to fix that leak. Um, and oh, on and on you go. We go. Uh, that kind of thinking can pull you off course, well, forever. Just drip, drip, drip. Yeah. Who is that? If the response comes, I am hearing that, which is true in its way, uh, just let those conceptions go and continue to ask who hears. Meditating with who is hearing that sound, the dark region is who. Who hears? Who is the one who hears? You can cue just who to your breath. This helps to disperse thought and enables you to settle more readily into the current. When you ask on hearing a sound, who hears or who, you raise your inquiring spirit, which is absolutely vital. Yeah. Yeah. Your journey with who hears takes you beneath your name and roles. Your roles and socially constructed notions of who you are may be powerfully established. However, as you deepen into the Khan and it becomes intimate with you, those conceptions begin to lose their grip. Eventually you reach a place where you are blocked, where you've run out of conceptual resources. Um, it's really a lot of the ideas that we hold dear um, are like a soft avalanche that falls away as you work with the Kohen. especially metaphysical ones. Um, there's nothing like working with mood to get rid of notions like the void uh, from university studies in poetry and philosophy and all of that kind of thing. Good antidote. Eventually you reach a place where you are blocked, where you have run out of conceptual resources and you truly don't know who he is. In that place, you just continue to ask who hears and deepen the question tirelessly to the extreme, to use Basui's great expression for that. Deepen the question tirelessly to the extreme. 
You don't need a placid, deep place free of thoughts and thinking to realise though. You may be besieged with thoughts or overcome by emotion. No problemo. It's all right. It's the proper place to raise uh, your own. All of this is fine for this is fine for finding your treasure, for realizing your true nature. Truly, serenity is overrated. And if you, to use Wu Men's great expression for this enterprise, if you want to find true gold, you must discern it in the midst of fire. When I began uh, teaching here many, many, uh, it would have been back in probably 93, um, in Doksan, a um, person stands at the head of the line uh, waiting to come to Doksan. And uh, there was a girl who was standing at the head of the line waiting to come for Doksan. Uh, when also a girl came out of the Doxan room, this is right here, uh, looked up um, and saw the girl at the head of the line. She had a realisation experience. And when I asked her what she realised, she said, but she was just standing there. She was just standing there. True meeting like that is older than the night sky and it's beyond uh, your agency. Don't get carried away though. Sun, moon and stars are that for the earthworm or a clump of grass. We don't have to make this so, it's simply given. We don't have to deserve it either any more than we have to deserve our lives. It's the rising of the sun, it's the returning to life after obligatory death. It's the vastness alive and glinting as the wetness of your eyes and the angles of your irony. Still wandering in your mind, I asked Chris Barker all those years ago. You bet, he said. What's there? Oh, grey sky, the sun on the salmon gums. After the shock and joy of true meeting come confidence and equanimity in their time. Something has opened that is alive and at ease. Its power and energy surface from unknowable depths animating our action in the world. We are enlivened and move others. We preach vigorously with our simple good morning and with our laughter quickened by wind and sunshine. 
Our simplest acts, picking up a cup, listening attentively, touch and enliven others. Hakuan, after many awakening experiences, could give Taisho all day. He was alive. Ah, oh, well, imagine that. <laughs> Dream on. <laughs> um, apparently true. And entirely believable in his case. He was alive for whoever came before him, and he had creativity to burn. And here's his open-throttle account of the ancient mirror as awakened life. All the myriad phenomena before your eyes, the old and the young, the honourable and the base, halls and pavilions, verandas and corridors, plants and trees, mountains and rivers, you regard as your own original, true and pure aspect. It is just like looking into a bright mirror and seeing your own face in it. If you continue for a long time to observe everything everywhere with this radiant insight, all appearances of themselves become the jeweled mirror of your own house, and you become the jeweled mirror of their houses as well. See, this is not self-centred. It's not just about me here. Um, you become uh, the enlightened, uh, the enlightenment of others, and it's not your agency. You can't manipulate it. It's how it is. Yeah, we're not aware of our role in this. And that's perhaps the strangest and least suspected angle, uh, our appearing as the original aspect of others, the true face of an earthworm, the face of our loved ones, and the true face of those who can't stand us. With the experience of true meeting, if you're a woman, you can respond to the koan, a young man is coming this way, beyond any contrivance. And when we first stumbled into this, we may be still getting on our feet, but something has shifted and we will never be the same again. Uh, it is not your agency. Our life is for its own sake. Uh, what are we here for? Is there a purpose for its being here? When love and work are going well, we may feel as if that is what we are here for, and we're inclined to say that our life has meaning. However, life in its vastness and complexity cuts deeper than mere meaning. We are not other than our life, and not just our own life in its unfolding. We are not other than life itself, and life and death in their full interplay are not other than each of us. So if we are here to overcome the illusion of our separation, and that is so, who is hearing that sound?